Hi, Pastor Chad Tucker here from Doxa Church in Burlington, North Carolina. To learn more about our new ministry and to find out about how you can partner with us, visit us online at doxaburlington.com. That's D-O-X-A burlington.com. We hope you enjoy the message. We're going to open God's Word today to Revelation chapter 3. In Revelation chapter 3, we are studying a good church. In fact, we're finishing up our study of the church at Philadelphia. The church at Philadelphia has been a wonderful study, has it not? Uh, I've enjoyed each and every week. And what I want to do is I want to kind of tie up this letter today by talking about, we've talked extensively about the church at Philadelphia, the characteristics of that church, and and uh, all the things that they did, and we'll review those quickly. Today we're going to focus primarily on verse 11, and verse 12, and verse 13. Verse 11, 12, uh, and 13. So let's read those verses together, and in reading those verses together... Um, we will keep these in mind as we uh, look at God's Word uh, today. You remember that in this letter, this is the only letter that Jesus commends. There's no critique or criticism in it. Uh, we've mentioned many, many characteristics. And the reason we're spending so much time here is because we want to emulate this type of church. We want our church to be a church that is... Uh, that would be a church that could not be criticized by God. Now, were they a perfect church? No, because it was filled with imperfect people. And yet, at the same time, there's only one perfect one, and, and that's Christ alone. But it was a church that sought to do things God's way and for God's glory. And Jesus commends this church the verses we'll focus on today beginning in verse 11. I'm going to pick up in verse 10 because that's where we were last week. Revelation chapter 3 verse 10. The Bible says this, Because you have kept my command to endure, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is going to come on the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on or hold fast to what you have so that no one takes your crown. The one who conquers, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God and my new name. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. As we come to these verses to conclude this letter, it's important that we be reminded of the characteristics of the church that God blesses. In fact, the reason that we would want to be a church like this is because we want to be a church that's part of the promise of God who says, I'm going to keep you out of or from the testing that's coming on the whole world. It's coming on the whole world. So what he says here is he says in, in verse 11, I am coming soon. Is that good news? 
That's the best news, isn't it? I am coming soon. One of the problems that we have in the church today, I believe, and one of the things that Christians struggle with immensely, is we want the life that we live now to be heaven. We want the life that we live now to be heaven, or at least to be like heaven. What's heaven going to be like? Heaven's going to be a grand place, a glorious place, and we do everything we can to create a grand and glorious place down here. Heaven's going to be a place of no more sickness and no more pain and no more sorrow and no more suffering. And we do everything that we can do down here to avoid every inconvenience and every sin, sickness and sorrow and all of those things. If we could have it our way, we would bring heaven to earth and be living the heavenly life now. How appealing would that theology be? Well, you can ask Joel Olstein who sells a, 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 a book, very popular book, right? Best seller entitled Your Best Life Now. And what he's selling to people is, is how you can have your best life now. You can't find that in Scripture. Though Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have life more abundantly. Life is more abundant when you have Jesus. Amen? But listen, if life were heaven here, we wouldn't yearn or long to go there. Al Mohler said it this way. There's two problems in the church today. We no longer fear hell and we no longer yearn for heaven. We no longer fear hell. We no longer fear hell because we do not live with the sense of urgency that hell is real, that hell is for all of eternity, and that people will be separated from God in a place of torment, in a place of eternal punishment, in a place where they do not experience the general or specific blessings of God. They will be in that place forever, for all of eternity. And the vast majority of Christians believe that here, but they do not believe it here and here. In in our hands and in our feet and in our mouths. Why? Because if we really truly believed and feared hell, knowing that hell was real, we would do everything we could to keep everybody we possibly know, even our enemies, quote unquote, from going there. But we also, we also no longer yearn for heaven. We no longer yearn to cast off the cares of this world. We, we no longer long to escape from the trials and troubles and to, and to go and be with Jesus. It, it, we're not yearning for heaven. We're not allowing the pressures and the trials and troubles of this world. We want to wait through those and, and ask God to, to take away and nothing wrong with, and don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with asking God to remove those things. But beloved, one of the reasons that we go through and the reasons we're in this sin-filled, cursed world is because God has placed eternity in our hearts and we will ultimately one day be with Him in a place for heaven. Do you long to be there? Are you yearning for heaven? Someone recently said, the older I get and the more of my friends that are over on the other side the more I yearn for heaven. 
And I think that's true, and I think that's commendable. I think the more people that we, more funerals we go to, and the more of our friends and loved ones that have made the transition into the presence of Christ, it does cause us to yearn for heaven. But I want you to understand this, that yearning for heaven ought to be not just to be reunited with our family and friends, but to be in the presence of Christ and to be with Him forever face-to-face Right? That's what heaven is about. And I cannot wait till we get to Revelation 21 and 22. I always ask people this question when I get an opportunity. And that is, what are you more excited about heaven? What gets you the most excited? Is the place that you're going to live for Jesus says, I go and prepare a place for you. And think about this. He created the world in seven days. He spent in 2,000 years preparing this place for us. It is going to be grand and it's going to be glorious. Are you excited about the, the place of heaven? Are you excited about the, the blessings of heaven and no more sickness and no more sorrow and no more pain? Absolutely nothing wrong uh, with that. But folks, heaven is not a place. Heaven is a person. And the person of heaven should far, um, should be a far greater yearning than the place of heaven itself. For after all, it doesn't matter where you are and it doesn't matter what the surroundings are like. If you're in the presence of Jesus. So I hope you are yearning for Christ to come. He says, I am coming soon. You say, yeah, but Chad, he wrote this in 80, 90, mid 90s. It's been 2000 years and he's not here yet. He's lying. No, he's not. He is coming soon, sooner today than it was yesterday. Remember, God is outside of time and we should live with a sense of urgency and we should live with a sense of yearning for His return and our yearning to go home to be with Him. To be with Him. And our life would change. Our values would change. Our priorities would change. Our stewardship would change if we truly believed that Christ was coming or is coming soon. He says this, hold on or hold fast to what you have that no one may take your crown. Ever ridden a roller coaster? When you get ride a roller coaster, you get in and they strap you in, and what do you do? Hold on, right? Uh, sometimes when Michelle's driving, I am holding on. I am holding on, right? Seatbelt on. I saw a picture this week where it said uh, that uh, they're in the front seat texting and Snapchatting and doing 40 miles an hour over the speed limit. And it shows this person and she's got every seat belt on from all the sides sitting in the middle. The lap belt, this shoulder belt, that shoulder belt, right? Saying there, you know, trying to be right. Hey, holding on. Here's the thing that I want you to understand is I want you to understand that this is the command. This is our part. God says, I will keep you from the hour of temptation. God says what he's going to do next and the overcomer promise that we're going to do. And those parts are all God's part and all things that God does. But you and I have a part as well. 
And that part is that you and I are to hold fast. And you and I are to hold on. How long? Until He comes and calls us home or until He calls us home. We are to hold fast. That means that we don't go strong and then let up at the end. Our world system might say it's perfectly acceptable to retire from your job and to coast on in the latter stage of life. But beloved, there is no retirement when it comes to the kingdom of God. How many times have I heard, well, we just need to let the younger people do it. We did our time and did our part. You can't find that supported in Scripture anywhere. I don't know what it is, but people who are so faithful in the church for so long, they get to a different stage, they get to a different place, and all of a sudden, church is no longer the importance, church is no longer priority, they begin to skip out, they begin to do other things, they begin to make the excuse, well, we're going to go on Wednesday night instead of Sunday morning, you don't have to go to church all the time, and then they start skipping there, and next thing you know, they're out of church completely, they are not holding fast and holding on. There are those who would read their Bible and they would pray and they would journal and engage in the spiritual disciplines and their walk with God was exactly what it needed to be and and they were growing in their relationship with Him and somewhere along the way it became more enticing to sleep in than to get up and spend time with God or to do other things and I'm just going to pray as I go to bed and they lay on their pillow and they pray and within just a couple of minutes when they used to spend significant time in prayer, Bible study and the reading of God's Word, they're drifting off to sleep with words half uh, in the middle of a sentence of a prayer offered up to God. I'm not saying you ought not to pray when you go to bed. What I'm saying is, is if we're going to hold fast, then we're going to stay engaged in the spiritual disciplines of God and we're going to stay engaged in walking with God. We're going to stay engaged in serving God and we're going to stay engaged all the way through until God calls us home with whatever strength, with whatever ability, with whatever mentality, with whatever capacity we have to give to God. We are going to do it. We're not going to fall away. We're not going to let go. We're not going to coast, we're going to hold fast so that no one takes your crown. That idea of taking your crown doesn't mean lose your salvation, but it does mean lose or affect your reward. No one can take away your salvation. If you're truly saved, if you're truly born again, no one can take away your salvation. But you can take away and you can affect your walk with God. And you can therefore affect your service for God. And you therefore can affect the reward with which you will receive throughout all of eternity. No, you will not lose your salvation, but you can lose your reward. And those crowns are rewards. And may I simply remind you that when you get to heaven, in the life that you live, we will stand and give an account before God, and He will give us rewards that we will have throughout all of eternity. And part of those rewards, the Bible says, are crowns. In fact, there are about seven crowns that are specifically mentioned in the Bible. Now, if you're like me, you're like... I'm not really a big crown person. I don't really like to wear crowns, 
right? Uh, you know, maybe maybe you ladies who were in beauty pageants growing up and you wore the tiaras and things along those lines and looked great and, and looked good. And now we're talking about crowns when you get to heaven. You're like, I, no, no. But may I remind you that we will enjoy those rewards for probably a split second and we will take those and lay them down at the feet of Jesus. And beloved, I promise you, on that day, you're going to wish you had every reward you could possibly have to enjoy throughout all of eternity and to also place at the feet of Jesus. Hold fast. You know, the Bible mentions those who don't hold fast. For example, don't turn there. just want you to, to listen, maybe make a note and, and look at it later. In Colossians chapter 4, at the end of the book of Colossians, Paul, writing to the church at Colossae, is sending greetings. And he says in Colossians 4.14, Luke, the dearly loved physician, and Demas send you greetings. So he's extending greetings and he says, Luke, you know Luke, and Luke's the great physician. He wrote Acts and wrote the the prequel, the Gospel Luke and the sequel Acts. Uh, he sends you greetings. And also Demas. Paul mentions Demas by name. He also, when he's writing to the letter at Philemon, which is which is a church that met in Philemon's house there uh, in Colossae, he sends Greetings from Demas. Demas was a companion of Paul's. He was a companion. Demas, Demas was greeted and was a fellow companion or a fellow laborer with Paul. And yet we see when we come to 2 Timothy chapter 4, here's what he says. Paul writing his swan song. The letter just days before he is to be martyred says this. He's there in prison. He's writing his final letter from prison. And he says, make every effort to come to me soon. Because Demas has deserted me since he loved, agape loved this present world and has gone to Thessalonica. Here is one who was with Paul. Here is one who was a co-laborer. Here is one who was with him, and yet he did not persevere. He did not remain strong. He deserted. He did not hold fast. He abandoned and deserted and went back out into this present world. Now, let me be clear. There are those who have were holding fast for a season, and now the world has their love, their affection, and their attention. That's why Jesus says, right in the church of Philadelphia, that we are to hold 
fast. So what happened? Did Demas lose his salvation? Is that what that passage is teaching? I thought we believed in eternal security. I do believe in eternal security. And if Demas was truly saved, we don't know what happened after this. Did he repent? Did he return? Did God draw him back in? And will we see Demas in heaven? After all, hasn't there been seasons in all of our lives when we were more faithful and less faithful? And maybe when someone sees us at a less faithful season, they may question our salvation as well. And yet, it's possible that Demas was religious but lost. In other words, on another occasion, Paul says this, they went out from us indicating they were never really one of us. The reason people abandon the faith and people leave the church and people go on and go back and run back to the world oftentimes is because they were acting religious instead of being born again. They were so hoping that religion would be the answer for them. Religion would be the answer to them. And instead, they didn't need religion. They needed a relationship with Jesus Christ. And religion without a relationship will not work. And religion is your devotion and your duty to stick to a set of principles or a particular behavior or a particular cause. And you will not stick if you are not saved. I don't know what Demas was. Perhaps he was lost in going out from us. Or perhaps he just was no longer holding fast, saved in heaven. But I'll promise you this. If Demas was saved and didn't hold fast, if there were regrets in heaven, he would regret this season of his life. My prayer is, is that you and I, that you and I would hold fast, that we would not quit, that we would not stop. Our part is to hold fast to the things of God so that no one takes our reward. What happens if we hold fast? The overcomer promises are true. Look back in Revelation, if you would, chapter chapter 3, verse 12. The one who conquers, Jesus says, I will make. Now, I want you to notice something here. He says, I will, I will. Jesus is writing the letter. He is the one doing the work. Jesus is the one. He's not sending an angel to do it. He's not calling on the apostle or disciple to do it. Jesus says, I will keep you from the hour of testing. In verse 10, I will keep you from the hour of testing. And here he says, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. And I'm not going to spend much time on that. We'll get to that when we get to Revelation 21 and 22. If you want to read ahead and study ahead, then you will see and understand what that means. Yes, people will be, right, the pillars in the temple of God. It's going to be amazing. When we get to Revelation 21 and 22, we'll explain that more. Notice what it says, and he will never go out again. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God. There's my God twice. The new Jerusalem, which comes down out of heaven from my God. 
in my new name. So look at it again. I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. There's one. I'll write to him the name of my God. That's two. The name of the city of my God. That's three. The new, the new Jerusalem which comes down out of heaven from my God. That's four. And my new name. Why is Jesus using my God, my God, my God, my God over and over again? If I was if I was reading this and I was grading a paper, I'm in my English class grading a paper, what would I say? Don't repeat that so much. Find another way to say it. Right? By the way, that's how some people pray too, isn't it? Uh, we won't go there though. We don't have time for that. But here's the thing. Jesus is perfect. And Jesus is God. And Jesus is writing, and this is preserved, John's writing, the words of Jesus, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And Jesus said four times, my God, my God, my God, my God. They didn't have a fully developed understanding of the Trinity yet because they didn't have all of the Scriptures. But does it not sound a little funny? Rather than Jesus saying, me, as God, He's saying, my God. When did this transition takes place and how does it affect us? Real, real quickly in John chapter 20. John chapter 20 is, is here is Jesus. Jesus is resurrected from the dead and Mary Magdalene comes to the garden. She comes to the risen tomb. And she's crying. She's crying because she doesn't know where they've taken the body of Jesus. She hasn't yet realized that Jesus is alive. And they said to her, woman, in verse John chapter 20, verse 13, why are you crying? He said, because they've taken away my Lord, she told them, and, and I don't know where they've put him. Having said this, she turned around, now look at this, and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was a gardener, she replied, sir, if you've carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away and Jesus said to her in a very familiar word that revealed his identity Mary turning around she said to him in Aramaic Rabboni which means teacher now notice the words of Jesus he says don't cling to me Jesus told her since I have not yet ascended to the father but now look at this this is the first time he says these words he doesn't say, but go to the disciples. He doesn't say, go to the apostles. He doesn't say, go to the believers. He says, go to, and uses this for the first time, go to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father. And look at this, to my God and your God. In other words... There's a status change that's taken place. Once Jesus died on the cross and rose again, though He hadn't yet ascended to His Father in heaven, as it relates to you and I, this makes us part of the family of God. And Jesus is God. He is our God. But we are also 
part in family relationship with Jesus as well. And so here in Revelation chapter 3, what he's saying when he says, My God, my God, and my God, is he is bringing us closer and nearer. And he is making it more intimate and more personal and, 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 and stressing and bringing in time and time again that we, with Jesus, are part of the family of God. Yes, he's up here. And yes, he's all of that. Yes, Jesus is fully God, transcendent and all that God is. But Jesus is also near and dear as a brother to all the brothers and sisters in Christ. He is God. And He brings us near to Him. This church was a great church because they held fast. They held fast to the Word of God. They strengthened and encouraged one another in the Word. This church was a good church because it focused on the second coming of Christ. When when Jesus said, I have the key of David, He didn't have to explain it because they knew the Bible. They knew what it was and they knew what it meant. This was a church that was engaged in the works of God. This is a church that was a second coming church. This would be a church that would strengthen one another uh, in the faith. This is a church that focused on uh, each other. And they held fast. And they remained faithful and remained true. And Jesus said, this is a good church. And may we emulate these, this church and the good things about this church. And may when Jesus comes, may He too one day say, I have nothing against you. Wouldn't it be great to hear? But you went and did. You say, well, Chad, that's the church of Philadelphia. That, that's not us. We're doxa. I mean, look at who we are. You know who we are? We're the body of Christ. As every bit of legitimate church as the church of Philadelphia is. And this verse is written as clearly to us as it was to them. Because here Jesus says again, Let anyone who has ears to hear listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. And beloved, may we listen and may we hear. And may we obey. How do we close? We close simply this way. If you're here and you're not saved, then these overcomer promises are not true. And you have no reward laid up in heaven. The only thing that you have that awaits you is eternal judgment and eternal damnation, forever separating from God. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter that you attend church. It doesn't matter that you have a Bible and that you read it. It doesn't matter that you offer up prayers to God. Beloved, if you do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, if you've not repented of your sins and believed on His name, then none of these overcomer promises are true for you. You're religious, but you are lost. Let me say it again. You are religious, but you're lost. You are acting at least today in this place in a religious behavior, but you are lost and far from God. And beloved, unless you repent, you will likewise perish. But if you are saved and you're genuinely born again, 
walking with God. Hold fast. How long? Until you get tired? No. How long? Until you get frustrated? No. How long? Until you just decide to do something different? No. Hold fast. How long? Until Christ comes. The Apostle Paul, who wrote about Demas, who had departed from us, he held fast to the end. And they came. And they took him. And they cut his head off for the sake of the gospel. And he held fast to the end. May you and I hold fast until Christ returns or until he calls us home. Father, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus that you would... Um, take this word and implant it deep into our hearts. That, Father, that we would look at ourselves and we would examine with the help of the Holy Spirit how we're doing at holding fast to spiritual things. I pray, Father, that we would forsake the things that draw us away. I pray, Father, that we would abandon uh, the things that are detracting from your glory that's part of our lives. And that we will hold fast and hold true in order that we would receive our reward when you return in your glory. And Father, we pray, Lord, that if there are those who listen to this message who are lost, that they, Father, would see themselves um, separated from you and would repent and believe the gospel and place their faith and trust in the only one who can save them. And Lord, that you would give them eternal life. Father, we just love you and we thank you for this day. It's been a good day at Doxa Church. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 I hope you have a, a great week and uh, look forward to uh, catching up with you on Wednesday. And uh, we'll press ahead in our study there uh, as well. And don't forget, next Sunday, let's go ahead and bump it to 1030. Okay? Let's bump it to 1030 and let's try that. And we'll see if that works. If not, we'll practice flex adaptability and go again. As soon as they tell me where we'll be, I'm assuming we're going to be in here. Uh, as soon as they tell me that word, I will send word out. And we'll also check and see what it would take to have this place uh, full time. And um, I don't know how we'll afford it, but if God calls us to do it, we'll figure it out. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Anything else we need to discuss before we uh, depart? All right. I hope you have a wonderful week, and I will see you on Wednesday.
chili at home. Whether you want to do that for dinner, you go out to eat, or you want to eat it for lunch.